Hey, Vince McMahon, it's time for this week's Stick to Wrestling podcast. Oh, no, give me a break. Oh, brother. Welcome to Stick to Wrestling. Stick to Wrestling is a podcast that focuses mostly on classic wrestling, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, it is WrestleMania season, so today we are going to review WrestleMania 9. Uh, let me get this out of the way first. I, I want you to join our Facebook page if you have not already done so. It's doing really well. It took me a while to find something that I needed to uh, research because it, the page is so active. So that's a good thing. If you haven't joined, I invite you to join. If you have joined and you just don't use it a lot, use it more, okay? If you want to follow me on Twitter, um, just search John McAdam and follow the guy who has the Six Wrestling logo as his avatar. And with that, it is WrestleMania season. WrestleMania 9 was right around 30 years ago. Yes, time does fly. Uh, before I get rolling on that, I want to bring in my semi-regular co-host, Steve Generelli. Steve, thank you for once again joining us. John, thanks for the invite. It's great to be back. And I know you were just talking about the Facebook page. Uh, another fun feature about that is we're going to soon have uh, our Stick to Wrestling Baseball Rotisserie group. And yes. That, that's a lot of fun. I'm excited about our draft, when, when probably another three or four weeks from now. Yes, you can join a 12-team league and laugh at John McAdam when he finishes eighth or ninth. And with that, we have some new blood on the Stick to Wrestling podcast who help us review WrestleMania 9 that was 30 years ago. Mike Fahey. Mike, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. Hey, no problem. So, yeah, WrestleMania 9 was was 30 years ago, and, and guys, audience, it was a... A historical kind of a landmark WrestleMania for me personally, because of the first nine WrestleManias, the first eight I watched live, whether it be at my house, at someone else's house, or watching the closed circuit from the Centrum in Worcester, Mass. This WrestleMania, I don't even remember what I was doing, guys, but I blew it off. I got the tape from a friend at work the next day, and I didn't watch it until the next Tuesday. And, Mike, you want to feel old? 30 years ago was when Chris Weber called that timeout and screwed everything up for Michigan. I feel old just thinking about that. Oh, yeah, I remember that well. <laughs> I remember we were doing our live fantasy baseball draft, and we had the end of the game on. We are like, oh, man, no more Fab Five. But anyway, yeah, WrestleMania 9, I did not watch it live, and I think that – that speaks more to my level of fandom at the time. It, it was on the, the decline. Steve, I mean, we've been, you know, you and I started watching wrestling right around the same time. Where were you as a wrestling fan around around this time? I I was like you. Uh, I had, uh, you know, dropped off a bit. I wasn't getting the Observer anymore, but I was definitely watching all their product. I was watching WCW, too. And, uh, but I was like you. I didn't get that pay-per-view uh, I, I ended up getting a tape of it from, from somebody. Uh, it could have been, uh, super fan Teresa D. Marie from back in the Observer days. I remember her. But, but she liked Piper. Nice. Yeah, she was obsessed with Roddy Piper, a really nice person. But, um, yeah, it, it, this is just one of, the, it was that kind of gray area where kind of losing interest, but, but, but still it was an important part of my, uh, each week. And, uh, and how about you, Mike? Did you, uh, did you happen to watch this live or? 
I don't think I watched it live. I uh, probably watched it that week on, remember, you could order replays of pay-per-views. Um, right, that's right. And uh, as far as the fandom goes, mine around this time was a lot like you guys. I was watching both WWF and WCW, but more out of force of habit than, yep. <laughs> than anything else. Um, I had recently discovered Smoky Mountain Wrestling. We had a cable access uh, channel that somehow, some way, showed Smoky Mountain every week as part of their cable access show. I'm guessing the guys who hosted the show were tape traders. That's the I've never heard Cornette say anything about sending a tape to a cable access channel in Maryland. <laughs> um, I can't imagine why he would do that. Uh, so I figured that's how the guys did it. They had like real silly skits that they did before showing tapes, the Smoky Mountain tape. And then they would come back and do wrestling related skits. Like one of them would hit the other over the head with a chair and just ridiculous stuff after the show had aired, but I, I just love Smoky Mountain instantly. So I was, I was watching that more than anything else in 93. I mean, I, I've talked about this. I would get, you know, Smoky Mountain tapes from my friend out in Johnson city, Tennessee, uh, Tim Whitehead. And I would always, I would always like try to, you know, okay, I'll watch one episode today and then I'll, I'll save a couple for the rest of the week. And no, all four episodes got watched as soon as I got that tape. I, I love Smoky Mountain. Yeah, totally believe it. All right. So back to the World Wrestling Federation. They were coming off a really rough year since WrestleMania eight. I mean, really rough. We had. The sex scandals, we had a huge steroid scandal. The WWF, I mean, they fell off a cliff in 1992. And here they are a little bit trying to pick up the pieces with their their local, with their biggest event of the year, WrestleMania. One of the biggest things that came out of this show, and I didn't really realize it until I, I re-watched this show for the first time in 30 years uh, yesterday, that, wow, Jim Ross is now in the World Wrestling Federation. It's been 30 years, and we, you know, we associate Jim Ross with the WWF and the, uh, the real glory days of Monday Night Raw. But, I mean, Steve, to me, it was a shock seeing him for the first time. Like, you know, it, it might have even been a bigger shock than seeing Ric Flair in the WWF. Yeah, it, it was a shock. I mean, he had been uh, one of the best announcers in wrestling going back to the UWF days, and he was right there in 89 for the NWA during their great, great run with Flair and Funk and Steamboat. Great announcer, no doubt about it. But here in the WWF, to me, uh, even though he's putting on his best face, his best, doing his best job, I think Vince had to humble this guy and just, you know, the old Jim Ross wasn't going to fly in the WWF where anything could happen. And, uh, you know, I think Jim lasted about a year before he got fired and he ended up getting fired multiple times. Yes, he did. Uh, in fact, in fact, I remember getting a postcard from Jim Ross. He must have somehow got Dave Meltzer's mailing list is that after that first firing, he sent a postcard to all of us observer readers, I guess, saying, hey, if you want inside wrestling info, uh, you can call me at this number or you can uh, send me like uh, $5 or whatever, and I'll answer any questions you have. So I guess that's how desperate it got for him at some point, you know, trying to make money. 
But uh, he just seemed completely – I mean, just – it would be like, you know, getting a top baseball announcer or a top hockey announcer and bring him into WWF. It it just didn't seem like a good fit at first. All right. I got a couple of stories for for you guys and the uh and our listeners. Number one, Jim Ross had an, an an ad in the readers pages in the observer saying that if you mailed him a <laughs> cassette tape, right? <laughs> ask your questions on the cassette tape and Jim Ross will record over the cassette tape and send it back to you for like $20. And I'm just like, at the time I was like, Oh my God, this is, this man must be desperate for money. <laughs> he probably still do that. <laughs> but secondly, you talk about humbling an announcer. I personally know someone who tried out uh, to be a WWF announcer, not a local guy, like a wrestling friend who, you know, graduated Syracuse in communications. And he said, if, as part of the tryout, they absolutely humiliate you. They make you do all kinds of crazy stuff. And that way they know it's like whatever they're going to ask you to do in front of the camera is no worse than the stuff they've already asked you to do as, as part of the tryout that they have a, a film of. So right there. Uh, I mean, Mike, what, what were your thoughts on Jim Ross going to uh, the WWF? Before I, I, I love how I ask a question and I keep talking. He burned his bridges with WCW. He had aligned himself kind of closely with Bill Watts. And when Bill Watts was gone, Jim Ross was gone too. I just wanted to let everyone know that that was part of it. But yeah, Mike, what were your thoughts on Jim Ross showing up in the WWF? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think he just seemed completely out of place. It's interesting that eventually, over the years, you start recognizing him more with the WWF than with with any place else that he worked. But that took a long time, and he definitely seemed out of place at first. He did. As a matter of fact, one re- one other reason you should join the Facebook group, we've taken some questions on WrestleMania 9. Uh, Greg Sirota asked, what did you make of respected play-by-play man Jim Ross having to wear a toga? And my response was, hey, you know, if, if Gene Okerlund and Bobby Heenan and everyone else is wearing a toga, uh, aside from Randy Savage, I mean, Jim Ross, you're wearing a toga, too. Yeah, I, I think his chemistry with Heenan was pretty good right off the bat. Um, it was, yeah. and that, that that's something I also wanted to mention. Like, Ross was fine. Uh, Heaton was fine. Savage was horrible, in my opinion, during this po- during this broadcast. He, yeah, he I was. agree. He's terrible. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree with that. I, I remember thinking as I was re-watching this, like, Chief, just shut up. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Let, let these, you know, let, let these two talk and Get out of their way. Uh, yeah, I think mean, that was exactly what I was saying yesterday. Like, you know, Randy, shut up. You're, 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 ta- you're trying to pick a fight with Bobby Heenan for no reason. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, let me see. My, my own uh, observation is that the place looked really good. It, it looked good on television. Uh, Mike, any thoughts on that? I mean, it looked like a first-class presentation at least. Yeah, and that's that's par for the course for – WWF, that's the one thing that they always did well, I think, uh, ahead of WCW. And until Hogan went to WCW, I certainly preferred WCW to the WWF. 
But, you know, there's no doubt that things like presentation and how they looked on television, WWF always had the major advantage over the other promotions. Yeah, I mean, production is a real thing as far as, like, getting, you know, your product on different stations. If it does, you know, they don't, the, the television managers, they don't care about, you know, work rate or anything like that. They care about whether or not your promotion has a major league look. And, and the WWF always did really well with that. The opener is Shawn Michaels against Tatanka. Uh, Steve, give me your thoughts on this one. I thought it was a good opening match. Um, a little bit surprised that, that Shawn Michaels and Tatanka, especially Michaels, w- were in the opening match. I guess it basically just tells you that they didn't really think of him as the showstopper or the, uh, you know, the, the headliner at this point in his career. I mean, definitely getting there, but not quite there yet. I thought the finish was kind of lame, just your typical count out finish. I, I have completely forgotten about a feud between Sherry, where Sherry's a baby face, and, uh, and Luna, who is uh, the new heel. Uh, completely forgotten all about that, but, uh, it was a good opener to start the show, I would say. You know, a, a good, good match. Meltzer gave it like three and a half stars. I wouldn't have given it that much, maybe two, two and three quarter or three, but not three and a half. It was originally scheduled to be Marty Jannetty against Shawn Michaels, a uh, battle of the former rockers and, you know, Janetti being Janetti got himself fired before he hit this finish line. <laughs> uh, I mean, Sherry, I thought coming in, I'm like, okay, you're, you're, they're out of things to do with her as a heel manager. They kind of have to turn her baby face, but I remember the time being like, Sherry as a baby face is going to flop. You kind of have to try it, and, you know, try it rather than just cut her loose. But I, I, I thought she was kind of a bomb. What, what are your thoughts, Mike? I thought it was a good match. Um, I can't recall Shawn Michaels having a bad match. I mean, I, I'm, I'm definitely a Shawn Michaels fan going all the way back to AWA days when it was with oh, yeah. the Rockers. So yeah, I mean, it wasn't an all time classic or anything, but it, it was a good match. I thought the finish was weird in that, um, that they went with count out and, and like I, I thought it was a DQ situation. And then all of a sudden the announcer said, said, Tatanka won by count out, which kind of threw me. I don't know if you guys thought that or not at the end of the match. Well, I was thrown a little bit by that too. Vince Mc- okay, they had to put in a substitute for Janetti. It turned out to be Tatanka. Vince McMahon, this is a true story as far as I know, is what was going on around in 1993. He went out and he saw dances with wolves. And Vince being Vince is like, I gotta have an Indian character, damn it. And that's where <laughs> Tatanka came from. So that, you know, because he had to throw the match together because Janetti got fired, he had two guys that he felt like, you know, neither one could do the job. So that's where the weird count out finish came from. And I'm not defending it. I'm just saying like, this is where it, it this is why it happened. I mean, Mike, you know, I, I, one thing I wanted to share with you guys too. When I first saw this match in 1993, I didn't like it. I thought Shawn Michaels, I thought his bumping, was a little bit over the top. It's like, you know, why are you responding to being hit by a chop so much differently than everyone else in the business? And then I saw it again yesterday, and I thought nothing of it. Like, I would have thought nothing of it if not for that 30-year-old memory. I mean, Mike, to me, that shows me how much the wrestling business has changed in 30 years. Like, I see guys flying around like that all the time now. 
Yeah. And meanwhile, I don't even watch it anymore. So <laughs> yeah. now, let me ask you this, Mike. Do you watch it at all? Like I all I watch are the big events like, you know, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, et cetera. You, you don't even touch those. Not at all. I mean, I maybe once a year because, you know, I miss watching it. Um, yeah. But but I miss watching what what it used to be. And yeah. I find that out about once a year when when I try <laughs> watching it, and it lasts about 10, 15, 20 minutes at most. No, I went through like a five-year period where I did not watch it at all. I mean, literally my mom's coming up to me and saying, you know, hey, Donald Trump and Rince McMahon are wrestling at WrestleMania. I'm like, oh, they are? <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> I was out of it for a while. And, you know, I'm not criticizing the current product. I don't think Mike is either. I don't think Steve is either. It's just it's just different than what we grew up on, right, Steve? Yeah, that's true. But I will I will admit it because I'm I'm the first to usually say, God, I hate this current product. But last year, Cody against uh, Rollins there that that sucked me in. I was like, it was like the good old days. It was like yeah. I, I was believing what I was watching, and they were so good in the ring together. Yeah, in, in my opinion. Yeah. The, the current product is, I, I'm very happy taking in the current product the way I do, which is I watch it like every four weeks or so and that's it. All right. Second match, the Steiner brothers against the head shrinkers. One thing I remember watching this, I had starting like at the end of 1989, I had an idea that Scott Steiner was going to be huge in this business. And I, to this, to this point, I was running around saying, I don't think Sting is the next big thing in WCW. I don't think Luger is the next big thing. I think it's Scott Steiner. And this was the match I was watching. I'm like, you know what? That's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Steve, what are your thoughts on Scott Steiner or the Steiner's tag team? Well, I'll just throw in there because from the Facebook group, uh, and, and Nathaniel Uselton says, <clears throat> what do you think the statement that Bruce Pritchard said that the original pitch of Scott Steiner being a surprise entrant in the Rumble in main eventing WrestleMania 9, do you think that would have helped the show? You know, I'm, I'm with you, John. I mean, I, I remember hearing those rumors that, uh, you know, supposedly Dusty as Booker wanted, uh, Scott Steiner to go over Ric Flair at some point and become the, the WCW champion. Uh, but that you know what? Steiner. Oh, oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. But, but, and that, you know, that rumor is not a rumor. It's a fact. Okay. Okay. But, but, you know, it, it, as far as Scott though, and I always felt Scott had a much better marketable look, you know, with the hair and the you know, good looking guy and everything. Uh, when they had the, uh, uh, when, when he became more of a single star, you know, years later when he really morphed into that Billy Graham type look, um, he just seemed to be like a complete loose cannon, like uh, on the mic. And he, you know, he, he, you know, cuss out Ric Flair on the, a live Nitro show. And so I, I think, you know, had Vince or whoever given him a, you know, um, you know, all of a sudden put everything behind him and said, Hey, you're the new, new guy. I think it would have fallen on his face. I mean, he, he, he did have a lot of the stuff you need. He was a good wrestler. He had a good look, but. I don't know if his head was screwed on or right enough. Hopefully his, uh, his nephew, who's the NXT champion, will uh, show a lot more when he, it's his time comes. Yeah, they, and what, what happened was uh, towards the end of 88, Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair were not getting along, and Dusty told Ric Flair that for Starcade 88, he was going to have uh, Rick Steiner go over Ric Flair in five minutes, which I don't <laughs> think Dusty was really going to do. I think it was something that was just – said in the heat of the moment 
And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was said. Uh, Mike, any thoughts on this match? I mean, it was decent. Two big teams going at each other. Uh, the one thing that stood out to me was at the end of the match, the, the Frankensteiner was actually missed. Yes. And <laughs> it cracked me up when Heenan kept saying, I want to see a replay. I want to see a replay. And JR was <laughs> like, there'll be no replay. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know Heenan was doing that on purpose. That, that, that cracked me up. Yeah, and back to, it? see back to what what yeah, back to what you were saying about Scott uh, Scott Steiner. I mean, Scott, you know, he was like everyone else. He was kind of a humble guy when he was first breaking in, and right around like the middle of '91, the Scott Steiner stories started showing up, and you know, he just got he, he got kind of cocky. Yeah, I, I think so. I think he was just uh, not ready to get a major, major push, even though maybe in the ring he was. But as far as the other team, I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, Rikishi, uh, the, the future Rikishi is one of the Samoans. Um, the old Samoan number three from WWF of 83 is the other Samoan. And Afa is their manager, who is, I guess, the father of the family there. And... I, I, you know, Alpha really added nothing to the proceedings. I'm, th- I'm kind of thinking maybe he was there just to uh, keep them on on course, like uh, kind of like how Buddy Rogers was babysitting Jimmy Snuka, maybe just to kind of keep the family together. Uh, but uh, the ring work was good. It was a good match, and uh, really, really two decent matches to start off this to show. No, I, I thought you know the first two matches were good. Uh, this was a good match. It was the you know it was the right teams with the right finish. I mean the Steiners have to go over you know pretty cleanly here, and they did. And it's not like the Head Shrinkers couldn't afford to do the job. Uh, now s- third match in, it's Doink versus Crush. Oh no! And even before <laughs> this match starts, okay. And I I looked. I hit the pause button. We were fifty three minutes into it, and I'm like okay. We have had already had way more than enough of of Jim Ross is from Oklahoma references. Like Savage Enon wouldn't shut up about it. Mike, are you with me on this? Yeah, there was the one line I remember, and it, this wasn't Oklahoma, but there was there was something said about Arkansas, and I remember Heenan uh, saying, "Well, no one from Arkansas has never amounted to anything." And then I thought about it. <laughs> I was like, I think Clinton was just elected president. <laughs> he was. <laughs> so I, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, I mean, Steve, any, I mean, any thoughts? Let me start on any thoughts on Doink. When I first saw Doink, uh, they introduced him in 1992. I, I was like, this is the step too far. We have a wrestling clown now. And, you know, WWF, we've been calling it a clown show for so long, and now they're having an actual clown. And then I saw what they were doing with him as a heel. I mean, it was, it was for the WWF, it was pretty good. And if you are a, someone who is inclined to look on YouTube, I'm sure it's out there. They had an episode of Memphis wrestling with Doink. Um, and they just knew how to use Doink. And then he got fought, Matt Bourne got fired and he went to ECW and Paulie dangerously really knew how to use that character. It's just like, you know, this guy who's gone off the edge and, and thinks he's a clown. Uh, I mean, you're, you're, let me, th- let me ask you this. Let me put it this way, Steve. What were your thoughts on Doink 30 years ago versus your thoughts today? 
Uh, 30 years ago, I, I was probably like you. I, I, I was probably embarrassed that, you know, his wrestling really had to go in this direction. But uh, after seeing Matt Bourne and maybe uh, all these different shoot interviews with him and, and learning about him and hearing Arn Anderson and different people talk about him, he was really a, a kind of a tortured soul within wrestling and really an underrated worker. He was really a lot better than anybody gave him credit for, uh, but just kind of a tortured soul. And in this role was really his masterpiece. I mean, this is kind of, he, he was kind of like the Heath Ledger of wrestling, if you want to say. Um, but, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, it really was, uh, but, but, you know, Joink uh, on, on the other end, uh, not Joink, but Crush on the other end. I mean, Brian Adams, uh, he had a great look, but that was really about it. Uh, the, the, the outfit they gave him, the big orange purpley jumpsuit, it was good for the kids, I guess. It was kind of what they were aiming for the kid audience. Um, but I liked him years later when he was one of the, uh, one of those factions with WWF and he was in WCW too. But so this is a really weird mismatch of t- two of their newer characters and the doink ends up winning the match in a kind of unusual way. I think Steve Kern was under the ring as the other doink, but it was Steve kind Kern. Of, kind of a forgettable match, but the doink character, this is a really a highlight for him, I would say. I mean, Crush's character was he was this he was this oversized kid growing up who liked to crush things. And that's where they came up with the character. It's embarrassing. Mike, I had forgotten about the finish of this match, and I kind of got a kick out of it 30 years later. What did you think of the finish? Yeah, it it was good. Um, Not as iconic as Tommy Rich coming out from underneath the ring. Oh, no. Yeah, it it was good. And, uh, you know, the Doink character was em- embarrassing in a way, like Steve said. I, I think more could have been done with it. I, 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 the concept of it, I think, was unique. I think maybe if he was a little more evil, you know, I'm mean, right. thinking John Wayne Gacy, not quite that evil. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you, you know, and the, and the other, the other problem is you're marketing, you're marketing to small children. So exactly. Yeah, I mean, done in a different promotion. Yeah, I, I, I can see enjoying it a lot more. No, I would definitely enjoy like a Heath Ledger type character, but I mean, that's not going to work in the WWF. It, it kind of worked in ECW when, you know, Matt Bourne brought that type of character there. Okay, uh, Razor Ramon against Bob Backlund. I, <laughs> I feel like I rag on Bob Backlund on on this show a little bit too much. Um, Bob Backlund, 1977 till about the end of 1982, was great. I I defend him. I defend his interviews. He went way downhill here. And, I mean, Backlund, I mean, talk about – this isn't even a knock on Backlund. This might be a knock on how much the wrestling business has changed. Bob Backlund – comes to the ring in this jacket he had made for him in 1982. Excuse me. <laughs> no entrance music, no nothing. He just runs to the ring, and he, Steve, I thought he looked out of place. I really did. Yeah, when when uh, the WWF was having all those scandals, I don't know if it was Backlund's idea, Vince's idea. They came up with the idea of, hey, let's get the one guy who is uh, has no scandals, no no nothing surrounding him. He's He's as good as gold. He's all American, Bob Backlund. And they tried to kind of reintroduce him as this like legend from the past. And, and they just 
put him through the paces and this is one of the matches he had. And I, I know, I know, uh, you know, his opponent was Razor Ramon, who was one of the t- major top stars of the promotion at the time. And, and I think amongst the boys, I think there, nobody wanted to work with Backlund because they just felt he was outdated. They, he couldn't really keep up anymore. And in fact, I remember hearing from the observer that, uh, Scott Hall or someone else wanted to have Dick Murdoch come in to just be like in the, not as a participant in the match, but just be on the apron to take bumps and to make the match interesting because they just felt Backlund couldn't do it anymore. It, it was Scott Hall who made that request. Do something to help me because I can't get anything out of this guy. We had an episode of Stick to Wrestling called There Is Such a Thing. There is such a thing as a bad Terry Funk match. It's from, I think Memorial Day weekend, 1991, we went to New Jersey for a Dennis Carluzzo show where they had Bob Backlund against Terry Funk. Now, well, there's no such thing as a bad Terry Funk match. Yeah, unless you put him in there against 1991 Bob Backlund. And <laughs> 1993 Bob Backlund was not much better. Uh, here, here I am ragging on Bob again. I, I don't even want to. Mike, what were your thoughts on Bob Backlund here in 1993? Well, it almost seemed like he was trying to be bad on purpose. Um, (laughs) That's why I was wondering, and I might be getting my timeline screwed up. I I don't, I'm always impressed, John, by your memory of, of things. And my memory might be all through here, but um, is it possible they were already setting up the Mr. Backlund turn or character, or was that further on down the line that there was no way they were setting it up, up? by the way he was acting in this match. Mike, I, I honestly don't think that they had any real plans for Bob Backlund beyond, you know, what they were doing with him at this point. I think they, they brought him in as just another guy at Razor Ramon's quest, or no, not Razor Ramon's quest. Did Murdoch was brought in at the request of Razor Ramon, Bob Backlund. I think he was just there because again, like Steve said, they, they wanted a guy who was completely clean and was not going to, embarrass them and they could say hey look we've got this really wholesome guy out there you know there's one out of 40 guys but all right well, i was <laughs> I mean, trying i was, was trying to give bob an, an excuse but i guess <laughs> um, no, and, I, and, I, and i loved him as a kid i mean yeah. you know he he was the champion during my elementary school years so you know it's this was a difficult watch for me <laughs> yeah the I mean, match was short but Bobby Heenan had the line of the night when he said, Opie returns. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, again, it's not Bob's fault, but he is a, a bygone from a, a, a relic from a bygone era, I should say. And there was a loud chant for Razor Ramon uh, in, the, in the beginning of the match, which, you know, very much surprised me given the kind of crowd that they had. All right, now. Money Incorporated, Ted DiBiase and Mike Rotundo against Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake. Now, I, I, before I even looked at anything, I was like, okay, you know, this is, this feels like the main event. Bret Hart versus Yokozuna does not feel like the main event. And I, I also, also want to emphasize this to the audience. I watched this yesterday and then I started reading different reviews. I read what the observer had to say, just basically so I had my own thoughts on it. And I said, this feels like the main event. And I, then I watched the Raw. That was the go home show before this. And they were billing it as a double main event. And, you know, it, Hogan, it's almost like he's too big a star for this match. It's his first match 
since the previous WrestleMania, aside from a, a warm-up match at a house show. And, I mean, you know, so if I'm, if I'm DiBiase, a great worker, and I'm Mike Rotundo, a good worker, you've got Hogan, who hasn't wrestled. You've got Beefcake, who's barely wrestled in four years. And, I mean, we're looking at each other and saying, man, we got a work cut out for us. This is WrestleMania. we got to carry this thing. Uh, Mike, give me your thoughts on this match. Yeah, it wasn't very good. I mean, I think DiBiase and Rotunda did everything that they possibly could. To me, and I know I'm kind of in the minority on this, Hogan not only had go-away heat with me at this point, he had had it for years with me. Yeah. So, you know, it's <laughs> this match was bad. His presence didn't help. Yeah, and and beefcake. I mean, he's just you know, I I don't think he's ever been any good either. So it was you know, not good in my opinion. It was to me, it was it was long, but it had to be long because it was kind of the main event. And, and to me, it's like okay, Hogan and Beefcake together after their hiatus. You know, you think okay, you got to make this short, but you really can't. I think DiBiase and Rotundo really worked hard to make this. It was it was a lot better than I thought it would be, which speaks more to my low expectations than it was the quality of the match. But I, I didn't think it was a bad match. Steve, give me your thoughts. As a fan watching every week, I, I thought that um, the, the return of Hogan and, and Beefcake to a much, much lesser extent, I, I thought that uh, him finally coming back, even after all the scandals and all the bad stuff, at least it gave a focus to the program. Uh, the shows were so bland with really without him. I mean, I know Brett was coming up and they had other good younger talent like Mr. Perfect, but uh, they needed somebody with some star power and Hogan had personality and he had the track record. So I was kind of excited to see him come back on the scene in this match. You know, I really didn't know what was going to happen. If this was just going to be a one-off or if they're going to win the titles uh, as far as the match, yeah, I thought it was decent. Maybe, you know, two and a half to uh, two and three quarters stars in that range. You know, nothing fantastic, but a, a good solid match. And, uh, the fans, the fans pop for it. They like the, the kind of the funny ending with the uh, briefcase and the money and handing the money out to the fans. So it, that part of it seemed to go over well. And, and of course we should notice that Hogan was really a uh, big time off the juice here and he had that shiner. So he, he had a kind of a unique look for this show compared to his, Normal appearance. All right. I, this morning, I, well, let me step back a, a minute. Yesterday, we put up questions. Do you have any questions about WrestleMania like to, to us to discuss? You know, we put that on the Facebook group. And this morning, Vincent Waller, who has been on the show before and will be on again, says, Hey, sorry I'm late to the party, but I got to ask, what was the deal with Hogan's face? And the name of this show is going to be, quite simply, Randy Savage punched him. And <laughs> that's what happened. Randy Savage punched him. I don't know what they were arguing about or why it happened, but, I mean, everyone knew 30 years ago that Randy Savage swung and connected with Hulk Hogan's face. And, you know, he says it's a boating accident or whatever. <laughs> and for whatever reason, Hogan and his crew got that out there that, oh, no, it was a bizarre gardening accident or whatever. It's like, no, Hogan punched the guy. It's that simple. Yes, yeah, I read it was a jet ski accident, which obviously is not true. Well, <laughs> maybe Randy Savage punched him when he was on a jet ski. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just something that everyone. Good for Randy. 
And yeah, Hogan's out. Let me tell you, Hogan's a big guy who got trained by Hiro Matsuda. I mean, he's six foot seven, legit. He's a mountain of muscle, and people act like you know this guy's defenseless. He certainly was not. But anyway, um, I, anyway, on to the rest of the show. I mean, I thought it was a decent match, but you know, like I said, Hogan, where Hogan goes, the spotlight follows, and I thought he was taking way too much spotlight away from. The WWF champion and what they're trying to focus on, and we'll get more. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. Another question from yeah, I was going to say, just wait a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, more on that, more on that later because I was re- at the time I was taken aback by it. Um, Drew Davies asked, "How goofy and odd was it seeing Lex Luger with all of those mirrors and sparklers?" I mean, guys, I, I'll, I'll ask you, Mike. What did you think of that ring entrance from Lex Luger? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess it was fine for what they were trying to get across. Sure, Vince McMahon might have been touching himself while watching it. Ooh, <laughs> that's, that's why Vince was on camera. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I mean, my question, Steve, is: Would a narcissist? Would an actual narcissist call himself the narcissist? <laughs> That's a good question, John. I don't know about that, but um, you know, as far as the uh, as far as the ladies that they picked to come out with Luger, that was really impressive. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if Vince picked the ladies himself because uh, each one was uniquely beautiful and uh, unbelievably hot looking women. There, I couldn't believe it as I rewatched it just a couple of days ago. I mean, talk about just, you know, once again, we're having a show that theoretically is for children. And if you take one thread of clothes away from those, one of those ladies, they're getting arrested. <laughs> I, I thought Lex Luger, I, I, I thought the whole narcissist gimmick, I looked at it, I'm like, this is a bomb. This is going to bomb. And it did. And Mr. Perfect as a baby face was a bomb. Uh, you know, this is not getting over. And it, it didn't. None of it did. I thought the match itself was okay. Henning is, he's coming off back surgery, but he's still an elite worker. Mike, any thoughts on the match itself? Yeah, I just thought it was okay at best. Yeah. You know, I, I think Henning's a great worker. I think Lex has had his moments where, where he's been a good worker. Yeah, it, it was okay. It was okay. That, that was my thought as well. It was, you know, two guys who are looked at as, as big time superstars. As far as I know, they'd never had a match before. And it was, it was just a match. It was just okay. Uh, but like I said, I, I looked at those two gimmicks. And I'm like, you know, this is going nowhere. And speaking about gimmicks that are going nowhere, Giant Gonzalez <laughs> against the Undertaker. I mean, Steve. Um, in my opinion, Giant Gonzalez is, first of all, his costuming is next level bad. And for a giant in the World Wrestling Federation, he was still just an unbelievably poor worker, even by those standards. Yeah, I, I think um, um, Jim Valley had asked about, uh, did you watch WrestleMania 4 following WrestleMania 9? What is worse? What is gaudier? I think this show is maybe better than WrestleMania 4, just only due to length. But I think why this card is so kind of looked down upon or forgotten is that the two major matches that people seem to remember, uh, you have Bret Hart against this, uh, you know, really 
agile, obese guy, or Yokozuna, who is just, you know, he's not, a, he's not like uh, somebody that stands out as a great heel or a great uh, worker. I mean, for his size, he is good. And, of course, this match is The Undertaker against Giant Gonzalez, who has to be arguably the worst wrestler in, in WWF uh, WrestleMania history. Got to be a rap, rap there among the worst. So uh, this this match was very disappointing. I can't think of uh, anyone worse. Got to be the worst, I would think. And like you say, the outfit was was my, my poor wife walked, walked past the TV while I was watching this, and she was horrified. She didn't know what to make of it. <laughs> so I tried to explain it, but... There's a body you know, suit you with hair. You tried to explain it. Oh, my. <laughs> it was a bodysuit with hair. It's just so weird. <laughs> it was. It was just, it just so, you know, this was an embarrassing moment. I know John likes to say uh, when George Steele was on, he'd be embarrassed. Well, this was my embarrassing moment. <laughs> I can't just imagine you trying to explain, honey, I, I, I lost the remote. I don't know what's going on. I've had too much to drink. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, this is just inexplicable. But one thing I will say about Giant Gonzalez, like the one good thing, okay? Think about how big The Undertaker is, right? Just take, right. Just take a moment. He towered over The Undertaker. He was more Undertaker's, the top of Undertaker's head, like came up to the top of Giant Gonzalez's chest. So, I mean, that's the one good thing we've got going on. He's got a good look to him except for that costume. I mean, Mike, any thoughts on, on this match? I, I personally thought it was it, it actually exceeded my expectations, which tells you how low my expectations were. Yeah, I mean, it it was not good. Um the the bodysuit with hair is just beyond bizarre. I'm not even sure it's a good idea to have the undertaker in the ring with with the guy that makes him look so small. Good kind of defeats the purpose of of the Undertaker. I didn't really remember anything about the match, and then when I rewatched it, yeah, I was just surprised. It didn't really make the Undertaker look good, even even the ending of it. And you know, and Giant Gonzalez is not going to make anyone look good, I guess. So uh, that that it's not the fault of the Undertaker, but it was just bad idea all the way around. I mean, I think about that costuming and, uh, you know, Vince McMahon saying, you know, yeah, I'll go with that. Like, yeah, how, <laughs> how does that happen? But I and one thing, you know, I, I mentioned again, I, I watch the show, I take my notes and I start looking at other people's opinions. Someone made a good point that, you know, you've got this guy who's eight feet tall. He's supposed to be the ultimate badass. And he's the one using sneaky heel cheating by using chloroform on the Undertaker. I mean, did, Mike, did you any thoughts on that? I mean, he's supposed to be this giant, but he needs chloroform. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else to say. It's like, yeah, yeah, it, it just, and it, he's getting no no reaction from the crowd. I mean, he's an eight foot tall guy. He's getting no reaction. Think about Andre the Giant. It's almost inexplic- inexplicable how little reaction he's getting from the crowd. I don't know. <laughs> Supposedly, he was a nice guy in real life. So uh, that's what I heard. Everyone, everyone liked him. He was a nice guy, but you know, he—I put it this way—he's a legit seven-seven, and he can't make the the end of the bench and on the on an NBA team. <laughs> Just throw him out there if you need a rebounder. But right. I, I mean. 
Steve, you know, any thoughts on the whole chloroform thing? I mean, I remember, you know, growing up watching wrestling and seeing Georgia wrestling and they did a chloroform angle where they, they took people out of the crowd and said, Oh yeah, it smelled like chloroform. It smelled like a hospital. And I was like, okay, I'm sure they re- used real chloroform. Well, you know, it, it just boggles the mind that the, the, you had the, the two major wrestling companies. First, it was the one in Atlanta, WCW. Hey, we own an NBA team. We drafted a player we can't use, but he is huge. We have a wrestling company too. Why don't we <laughs> teach him to become a wrestler? He'll be the next big thing in wrestling. And, and, the, you know, any brain power they had over there, they couldn't make that work. El Gigante was an embarrassing, it, it did not work. Vince gets the idea, hey, let's, let's bring him on board. Our people will make it work where, you know, Atlanta couldn't make it work. Same thing, same outcome. It was just um, so embarrassing, so pathetic. I think Mike said it really well. Um, it, it took away from The Undertaker, if anything. It made him look not as big, not as impressive. I, I know Vince and even his father, they like to have these larger than life, uh, characters or outlandish characters like Yokozuna or Haystacks Calhoun. Because they like the, you know, kind of like the Ringling Brothers Circus. They always felt like they were kind of like a brother company to the circus. Uh, you know, you have a lot of that here, but uh, there's no wrestling. I mean, uh, you know, you know, back in the early seventies, Crusher Verdu against Bruno, uh, it was just a battle of can we not crush a Verdu off his feet? And they tried to do something like that here, but it, it just didn't work. And it, it just, uh, it just wasn't pretty. Now I remember watching it live. And Undertaker got stretchered out. He came back out after he got stretchered out. But what, after he got stretchered out, a big Hulk, you know, Hogan, Hogan chant goes out. And once again, we're talking about wherever Hogan is, the, the spotlight, he's taking the spotlight with him. And I remember watching it live thinking, okay, it would make a lot of sense if Hulk Hogan came out and cleaned this guy's clock. But, more on that in a moment, because now we get to what they at least are billing as the main event. Bret Hart, the World Wrestling Federation champion, taking on Yokozuna. Yokozuna. <laughs> now, I have a lot to say here. Um, first of all, I was familiar with Yokozuna before he got that gimmick when he was Coquina Maximus. And I'm looking at this guy, and he's huge. Okay, He's this huge Samoan guy. Who can, he has a little bit of agility. He can, he work, he work Japan so he can get something done. And I'm like, why can't WCW figure something out where they can use this guy in some capacity? And that's the difference between the WWF, a difference between the WWF and WCW. Like WWF figured it out. Like I remember getting a call in 1992 hearing all about what they were going to do with him. And the Yokozuna character, and it was going to be like a, um, a sumo wrestler. And the guy was telling me, like, this is going to be a money gimmick. And it was, it just wasn't as big a money gimmick as we all thought it was going to be. But, um, I mean, we all know what happened. If I'm Bret Hart, I don't have a problem with losing the match. I don't have a problem with, you know, getting pinned by Yokozuna. I don't have a problem with Hulk Hogan coming out after the match and winning the title from Yokozuna. Here's what I have a problem with if I'm Bret Hart, okay? Bret Hart just, you know, he showed very little offense in that match. He was overmatched by Yokozuna. It looked like Bret didn't have a chance against this guy. And then he loses clean in the middle. 
And then Hulk Hogan comes out and beats Yokozuna in 21 seconds and wins <laughs> the championship. And I'm, if I'm Brett, I'm like, wait a minute. If, if I, if this guy kills me and then Hogan kills him, why does anyone want to see Bret Hart against Hulk Hogan? I mean, Mike, give us your thoughts on that. Well, I'm, I'm sure that was, uh, that was Hogan's doing. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that's his locker room politics and, and Vince McMahon let him get away with it and he let him get away with it. Perhaps for good reason. He made him millions of dollars. I mean, look, I can't stand Hulk Hogan. I, I haven't, I think maybe, maybe 84, 85 was the last time that I could stand watching the guy, but I'm in the minority. I mean, he's the most successful professional. Well, one of the most successful professional wrestlers of all time. So, you know, I mean, McMahon leaned on someone he, that who who made his company made him millions of dollars, but to me as a viewer, it total turnoff. I mean, I remember the guy, uh, my friend at work, giving me the tape the Monday after, and saying, "Guess who the new WWF champion was?" And you know, I read the Observer and I talked to people, and he didn't. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, Yokozuna." There, they, they, you know, I knew Yokozuna was winning the championship. He's like, "No, who, who is it?" I'm like, it's not Yokozuna. Bret Hart won. He's like, no. I'm like, well, what then? And he told me what happened. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. They didn't wait a moment to put the title back on Hogan. As soon as he came back, bam, there it is. And I mean, in Steve, in a weird way, I guess it was a WrestleMania moment, the ultimate WrestleMania moment. Like, wow. The good guy, the ultimate good guy, is once again the champion. The downside to that is that, you know, you spent a a good six, seven months building up Bret Hart, and now Bret Hart in this match, in the whole scenario, he felt like the second-string quarterback. Like, okay, Jacoby Brissett, come on in for four games while Tom Brady is, is suspended for four games, and do your best, and then when Tom Brady comes back nice knowing you well after all the scandals they had the year before i think this was kind of vince's way of saying this is the wwf and anything can happen here including a guy winning the world title who isn't even booked in the championship match so that was the beginning of them trying to get on sports center and have a sports center moment and and I can understand that. And I guess for that alone, that, that was all well and good. But, uh, you know, we know what eventually happened. I mean, Brett eventually got on course and won the title. So this win, when you look back on it now, really meant nothing because Hogan ended up losing it on the next pay-per-view, uh, King of the Ring, a few months later. And it didn't even defend the title in the months in between. So it didn't really mean much. Is the story true that... The plan was for Hogan to lose to Brett, and Hogan refused later on down the line. The story that's out there, that was out there and remains out there, was that they were going to build up Hulk Hogan uh, versus Bret Hart for SummerSlam. Uh, Hogan was going to win the title from Yokozuna eventually, and then they they were going to do Bret versus Hulk at SummerSlam, and Bret was going to get his win back. Now, 
that sounds great on paper if you're fantasy booking. There's only one problem, and it's called Hulk Hogan. You've actually got to <laughs> right. get him to agree to lose to Bret Hart, who Hogan probably still sees as a tag team guy. And, I mean, just Hogan's track record is what it is. Like, you know, would Hogan really do that? I mean, Steve, any thoughts on that? I, I don't think he would do it. I mean, uh, he was more of a Hulk Hogan guy than a, a Vince guy or a I'll do the best for the promotion uh, person. You know, it, it all worked out. I, I mean, Hogan had uh, New Japan talking to him, and eventually the WC, uh, WCW offer would come. And I think I think Hogan knew it was time that he had to really go somewhere else to kind of um, open up a new chapter of his career. His, Losing the bread or, or going down that road wasn't something he was going to be able to live with, I don't believe. No, I don't think so either. You know, I, I once again, I, I read the Observer that came out after the uh, after this uh, event, and Dave made a really good point, okay, uh, that the WWF was really going overboard hot-shotting with the WWF championship. And I did a little research from 1963 through the end of 1991. So we're looking at almost 30 years. The WWF championship had changed hands 12 times, right? So Mm -hmm. about 12 times in 30 years, 1991 through this WrestleMania, it had changed hands nine times, nine times in about two years and three months. So, uh, and, and, you know, that was just a harbinger of things to come. I mean, Mike, you know, was, had you noticed that the belt was changing a lot? Yeah, compared to the way it used to be. I know as a, as a kid, I could, I could name all the title switches in order the way that I, I could Super Bowls, which I can't do anymore either. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now, now, of course, there are more Super Bowls. That's just, just time moving on and I'm getting older, but. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, in the days of the five, six, seven year title reigns were over, no doubt. Yeah, and and, and, and and there's some good there's some good parts to that too. I mean, you know, it, you don't have a case where everyone's tired of Backlund in the last year of his title reign. You know. Yeah, I I agree that you know. Everyone said, oh, the good old days when the wrestlers had the titles for five, six years. Hey, that five, six years can get old. And, you know, once again, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair kind of had the same problem at this point, that if Hogan is around the WWF, I'm saying this as a as a compliment, he is such a big star. Once again, he's going to take that spotlight from everyone else. If you're going to have Hulk Hogan, you almost have to have him as the world's heavyweight champion because, what, Steve, what else are you going to do with him? Yeah, yeah, having him win the tag team titles with Beefcake would have been a waste of time. And it, it just, uh, I mean, they, they actually did do a run with, uh, of rematches after WrestleMania with Hogan and Beefcake against Money Inc. And, and they drew like, you know, 11,000 at the Meadowlands and 6,000 in Pittsburgh and different places. I mean, they did okay, but yeah, if you're going to have Hogan back, you're going to put him in the main slot. That's just the way it was going to be. It, but, you know, you know, a lot had changed. I mean, we're in the early 90s now, and the territories were all gone. It wasn't like the old days where they could bring in all this new talent from the territories as there was no territories to bring them from. So with a different business model and, 
Vince found his way, but it would take a few years to get back to where he needed to be. All right, now let's go. Let's wrap this up by going to the Facebook group. We took questions on WrestleMania 9. And, Mike, since you are the, the guest today, would you like to pick a question and answer it and then hand it over to Steve and I? Sure. I'll go with Ian Totten. Was there a worse finish to a WrestleMania in history? Very easy question. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Steve, any thoughts on that? I, I'd, I'd have to go back and look at all the other finishes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there could have been a worse finish. Uh, um, you know, I, I know from a lot of the fans, I mean, there was one year where, uh, Stone Cold and Vince are, you know, in the ring, uh, raising their, uh, toasting each other. I know a lot of fans didn't like when, uh, that's Stone mine. Cold, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of fans that felt that way. So. It, to, to me, this is one that, that I don't think a lot of people really remember that well to begin with. But, uh, yeah, I can see why people wouldn't be too fond of it either, unless you're a huge Hogan mark. Yeah, that, to be fair, I haven't seen the last 20 or so. but Right, right. Now, they're the, the only ones that's – you know, the other one that I hated even more, and we'll be talking about this uh, a year from now, where it was WrestleMania uh, – WrestleMania five, where they just buried Randy Savage, in my opinion. I mean, there's no no problem. Hulk Hogan goes over clean, but I thought they really just I, I thought they really squashed Randy Savage in that match. I haven't seen it in forever, and I'll I'll watch it again in about you know fifty weeks or so. But you know that's another one. I I I, I didn't hate this finish. I, I at least in a vacuum. Just for the event itself, I didn't hate the finish. I kind of hated what came out of it. Uh, Steve, can you pick a question? Of course. Uh, Michael Adrian Dunan asks, this was my first, res- this is my first mania. I was five years old and I oh, ate wow. this up. Why do, I'm sorry, older fans that enjoyed WrestleMania one through three have so much hate for this show? Well, to try and answer that, uh, yeah. WrestleMania one through three, I think what they were trying to accomplish on those shows was pretty straightforward. Uh, you had a lot of hot characters, a lot of good wrestlers and even good matches. Uh, this show, you had, uh, some good prelim matches, but your main matches that are really drawing you to the event, uh, were pretty much a letdown. To get to, to Michael's point, I, I will say that you, you love what you saw as a little kid, like, the all-star and the championship wrestling that have dropped and they're on Peacock now. I can watch those over and over again. I can watch them on a loop for hours at a time. Um, <laughs> and you know, someone, someone who, who became a fan in this era, in this era, or even, you know, they watch the current wrestling, they take a look at those and they're, 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 they're like me and up and reverse, you know, they can probably only stand five minutes of those shows. So that would, that would be my answer to his question is, you know, you love that when you were a kid, you're probably always going to. Yeah. I mean, I worked with this girl like 15 years ago and this girl is probably like 20 years younger than me. And she had action figures of the Hardy boys in her workstation. So I just, you know, walked up, Hey, you're a wrestling fan, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, you know, I get the WWE 24 seven service. I love it. And I'm like, oh yeah, I love that too. I have it. I'm like, you know, I usually watch the, um, the world championship wrestling they have on from like 85, 86. And maybe a week later, she comes up to me and she's like, you know, 
not trying to be rude, but like you could tell she sampled one of these and she hated it. And the okay. World Championship Wrestling from 85, 86 is, is way faster paced and in more interesting than the, the all-star wrestling shows and the championship wrestling shows. But like you said, Mike, that's our childhood. We love it. Yeah, for sure. All right. I'm going to grab a question here from Chris, Chris Soha. Did you have any, he put that in caps, any idea that Hogan would involve himself in the main event and related to that was, was Hogan put in the right spot in on the card in the tag title match? I think for his return, the spot in the tag title match was fine because Hogan's back. So you can, you basically, you can throw him in a tag match and still have people by the event. To answer the beginning of the question, I had no idea that Hogan would involve himself in the main event, and I be- absolutely believe that they called maybe not a last-minute audible on that, but like probably a week or so before the event, they just said, screw it, let's put the title on Hogan, because what I heard coming in was that Yokozuna was winning the belt, and then they were going to go around the horn with Hogan versus Yokozuna, which uh, a match I think would have drawn. And then they were going to eventually put the title on Hogan and then do Hogan versus Bret Hart for SummerSlam. But I, I was, I was absolutely taken aback when, when Hogan showed up and won, or actually I should say when I was told that Hogan showed up and won the title. Steve, what was your reaction back in April 1993 when that happened? It didn't surprise me. I mean, um, you know, the whole transition to Brett and the younger generation of wrestlers, uh, as someone who had been watching for a long, long time, back to the Bruno days even, it was hard to uh, uh, kind of let go of the, uh, you know, seeing Hogan at the top and what have you. But, you know, I, I knew then that his his appeal and his ability to draw the big crowds had really dropped off. I mean, Unless you're having all these great new talent come in and have new matchups, interesting matchups, people get tired of you after a while. And I think they had gotten tired of Hogan. And, and like you said earlier in the show, all the scandals, the steroid stuff, the other scandals uh, involving the kids and what have you, it just gave the WWF a black eye, gave wrestling an overall a black eye. And they did the right thing going with Brett eventually. They, Maybe they should have done it sooner, but it, it, it took a while, but they, they got on the right path. They, they did. And you know what? I, I have to be fair. It wasn't all Bret Hart's fault. It probably wasn't Bret Hart's fault at all. But the WWF was not drawing in 1992 or early 1993. Crowds were way down. And if you have the opportunity to make Hulk Hogan your champion – You've got to take it. I might not have done it this way, and I definitely would have booked it so that Brett didn't look so inept so that I could go back to Brett when I needed to. But, I mean, my, my own opinion is, you know, like I said, you have to be fair. I mean, the WWF gave running with Bret Hart as as their champion a chance, and it didn't work. At least it didn't work the first time. And, again, not all Bret Hart's fault at all. Uh, I'll tell you what, we'll wrap it up, Mike. One last question from our, our Stick to Wrestling universe, if you'd like to pick one. All right, so Ron Head, does anyone have video or audio of all the bullshit chants inside Caesars after the show? 
Obviously, I don't, and I'm actually surprised that those occurred. First time I've ever heard of it. Okay, I was going to ask, do any of you guys know anything about that? No, as a matter of fact, um, I kind of read the Observer, the whole thing. Uh, I'm sorry, not the whole Observer, but the whole write-up of WrestleMania 9. I didn't see anything there. Then again, Ron's in Southern California. Las Vegas is not far away, so I'm guessing... He heard the chance. A shout out to Ron Head, my buddy from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, Steve, have you heard anything about that? No, and, and it's possible that that may have happened uh, for someone who was there alive. But you know, on a show like this and the way it was set up, uh, you know, maybe the main uh, mics didn't pick up it, or maybe they, you know, the the, the post production. I know it's a live show, so there's not much post production, but. Uh, you know, on this replay that we watched, we certainly didn't hear anything like that. I mean, I tried to try to, uh, you know, hear for that sort of thing at the end of the show since it was such an unusual ending. But it just seemed it was all cheers to me. I'm hoping yeah. they were started by Natalie Cole. <laughs> <laughs> that would make Natalie sense. Cole in her potty mouth. Right. <laughs> no one, Ron. He started the chance, but anyway. <laughs> I hope everyone enjoyed listening to our recap of WrestleMania 9. Uh, guys, before we go, I want to get – Mike, let me start with you. Give me your thoughts on the show overall. It's weird because when when you invited me to be on the show and you said that this was the show we were going to be reviewing at first – You I wanted like, to murder me? Yeah, I was like, John, why? <laughs> like, I like – those those all star wrestling, <laughs> those are in my wheelhouse. What are you doing to me here? But um, but anyway, I, I watched the show and I expected it to be really really awful. I, I remember seeing it years earlier, and I've kind of I'm sure I have run it down during this hour. But at the same time, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's odd that it was a WrestleMania like. To me, there weren't that many big matches. I don't know if you guys know what I mean, but like. No, I definitely know what you mean. Yeah, it was like, that- it was, it was kind of like a glorified Monday Night Raw, you know, with, with a title switch at the end and, and people in togas. <laughs> no, I definitely know what you mean. You have Yokozuna, who, a character that didn't exist a year ago, and then you've got, Bret Hart, a guy who a lot of people saw, still saw as just a tag team guy. I know my friends are, you know, who are more casual fans are like, you know, what's this with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart suddenly now being the big stars? I would, I would try to explain. It was like, you know, that guy who, uh, the Red Sox brought up when he was 22 and he wasn't that good when he was 22. Well, now that he's 25, he's really good. Uh, Steve, give me your thoughts on the WrestleMania 9 as a whole. Well, I think Mike made a really good point as far as that. Did it feel like a WrestleMania? Well, the prior year, they really had a, a much loaded card, and this is the one they did from Indianapolis. They had uh, Randy Savage against Flair in the main event, and the co-main event was Hogan against Sid Justice, which was a really forgettable match. But you also had that that really memorable match between Roddy Piper and Bret Hart, where Bret Hart really became a made man and became uh, a, a main event guy from that point forward. And there were other good matches on that card. I think J.J. Dillon was involved in building that card uh, along with Patterson, and they did a good job in setting it all up. But, you know, with all, all the scandals and all the changes that happened, everything kind of 
evolved and the promotion kind of de-evolved over that, that year. And, um, I mean, I've really said everything I, I could say about this show. It was, it was very average at best. Uh, but one thing that I didn't say in this episode that I think needs to be said, you know, when we talked on a prior show about, you know, who would be the next face of the promotion, whether it was Bret Hart or Tito Santana, one name that never came up was Kurt Hennig. And I kind of felt bad about Mr. Perfect just watching this show. I mean, John said earlier he was just coming off of back surgery, but uh, he was a guy that seemingly could do everything. But um, maybe his personality, you know, like like to do uh, ribs and pranks, maybe the promotion looked at him as just a fun guy, not a guy to build the promotion around. And I kind of feel bad that he ended up being a, a kind of a character, kind of like the WWF's version of Barry Windham, a guy that had the potential to be a long-term champion, but just kind of lost his way and never really hit that career peak that he should have. It's kind of sad that uh, Kurt Henning ran into the injuries that he did because he was he was really on a roll in 1991 before that all happened to him. But anyway, my my thoughts on the show was first of all, I think by having set Randy Savage as a commentary commentator, which is not his strong suit to begin with, it, it devalued him. I mean, if he's outside the ring talking instead of inside the ring fighting. It gives the it gives the illusion. It puts him in the light where he's old. It, it to me, like I said, you, you're devaluing devaluing him. And I know that Savage was already on the smaller side before the steroid ban came about, and he got really self conscious about being, you know, the incredibly shrinking macho man. But you know, you just got to get out there and do what you can do. They needed him in the ring. You know, just to have a Randy Savage match to increase the star power of this event. Um, but I, I agree with Mike that this wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. No, it wasn't good. I'm not going to tell you it was good. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was way better than WrestleMania four, which, you know, isn't saying much, but it, I thought it was better than WrestleMania four by a, a, a pretty long march. And this was nowhere near as difficult to get through. And as, as Steve pointed out, a lot of it was because of the time. Uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to wrap this up. Any any finishing thoughts, Mike? Thank you for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm sure it was better than WrestleMania 4. I, I enjoyed the podcast last week. I listened to it, but I did not go go back and uh, and watch WrestleMania 4 with you guys. So. You see, here I am spoiling <laughs> everyone's nice late winter Saturday afternoons by watching them make watch horrible WrestleManias. It's who I am. It's what I do. Steve, any final thoughts on this show? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think uh, Mike brought a lot of good stuff, and uh, John, you as always, uh, really enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to our next episode, which is another WrestleMania Revisiting. WrestleMania 14, right down the road in from Boston, Massachusetts. Mike, thanks again for coming on. Next time I will give you a a much better canvas to paint on, if you would. All right. Thank you, John. Thanks, Steve. All right. Uh, Steve, thank you as always. Thank you, sir. Good to have you. Good to be back with you. All right. And uh, let me see. Yeah, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank uh, Brian Last for giving me this forum. I want to thank Lou Kippelman for all of the great work he does. And this has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Go Vols win the SEC basketball tournament. This concludes our podcast day. 